Um, this morning we're talking about God is sovereign, and it's kind of funny the way that this week has gone. Um, I won't tell the stories because I've got another story I want to open with, but I've had sovereignty in my mind all week long, and there's been a couple things that have happened this week that I've just thought, man, only God's sovereign will could make that happen or come to be. And it's like, I was just, maybe it was because I was more aware of sovereignty. Uh, and, and so maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I don't even really know what sovereignty is in relation to God. And uh, that's, that's what I want to get into today. And so I'm just going to open with prayer. And my desire is that we would hear God's voice today and that we would become more aware of our role in the events of this world, but also just in the events of our life. So there's, we're gonna be, when we talk about sovereignty, there's like God's sovereign will, but then there's also our role in the midst of that, and we're invited in. And I'm just going to pray for clarity that we would hear him today. So let's, let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for every single person that's in this room. Um, I thank you, Lord, that just as we've, we've mentioned, when we gather, uh, we gather to worship you, the one true God, who is sovereign in all of your decisions and actions and stances and words. You're sovereign, Lord. And I pray that we'd be comforted by that today. Uh, I pray that we'd be aware of your presence. Lord, sometimes when we talk about sovereignty, there's a struggle there because we ask questions like, well, if this really good God is in control, why are some of these bad things happening? And those are real questions that, that we, we struggle with in our own lives, that the people of Scripture struggled with. And so as we talk about sovereignty today, Lord, I pray that we'd, we, we would sense your presence, but that we'd also hear your voice in relation to what it looks like to just live a life that walks in obedience with you. We love you, God. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I want to put a definition on the screen, and then I want to tell you a story. So the, a definition of sovereignty goes like this, just so we all know what we're, we're talking about, okay? So divine sovereignty refers to God's all-encompassing rule over the entire universe, okay? Divine sovereignty refers to God's all-encompassing rule over the entire universe. And then if God is sovereign, in the next slide you can put up there, Jacob, it means that God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and completely free, Okay? So if God really is the all-encompassing rule over the entire universe, it means that he's omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, present everywhere, omniscient, all-knowing, and completely free. Okay? That's who we're talking about. We're talking about this God that is everywhere all at once, knows everything. He's all-powerful. Okay? He is sovereign over the universe. He is sovereign over everything. And so just to get practical, I just like, because maybe, maybe you wrestle with like kind of big ideas and, and this word sovereignty, maybe it throws you off and you're like, oh, I don't really know what that means or what that looks like. I want you to just think with me for a second about your birth story. Okay. Anybody remember the day they were born? <laughs> you know, there's usually one in every crowd, but there's no, no one's here today. saying, Okay. So um, I want you to just think for a second about your birth story and how you came to be. I was getting ready uh, for this message this week, and I just got thinking about the sovereignty of God and how God uses the sometimes messed up events of our life to do good things and to, and to lead in a way that um, he desires. And so 
as, I just want to tell you a little bit about my birth story, and as I'm doing that, I want you to think about your birth story, okay? So most of you, if you've been around for a while, you know that uh, my dad, Cal Maskery, um, who's going to be here, by the way, in a few weeks, he's coming to speak in the middle of November, really excited about that. Um, many of you have heard him share his story before, and uh, he, uh, he spent quite a few years in prison for a really serious crime. And I was getting ready for this, this uh, message, and I was just thinking about the events that led up to me being born, and I was thinking about just the mess that God had to work with uh, in my dad's life and in what was going on in order to accomplish his good will in some way. And so uh, if you've heard his story before, you know that he was born in Toronto and raised there, and at some point he moved out to Calgary to get away from his criminal life, and he wanted to you know, start over and do things fresh. And my dad says this all the time when he shares his testimony. He says, you know, I, I learned that wherever I go, there I am. Okay? <laughs> it's a really profound, wherever I go, there I am. So he was trying to escape his problems, but then he found that wherever he went, there he was. Same problems were there, same problems existed. So he's out in Calgary, and he, he commits this really serious crime. It was a break and enter, uh, and there was a guy in the building they broke into, so they took him, tied him up, threw him in a car, and they were driving back east across Canada. That's what he'd seen his dad do, and so that's what he did, right? So you know what it's like when you break into a building and there's someone there, right? You, you take him. Okay, so, so he does that. He gets, he gets caught, pulled over by the police. It's this miraculous, there's a whole story that, that went into him, you know, being pulled over and being arrested and all these things. And he says it was the grace of God that he got arrested and sent to prison. What's interesting is he was actually sent to Stony Mountain, which is in uh, Manitoba, not very far from here. And he was so far away from everybody that he knew. His dad was in, I think, Collins Bay down in southern Ontario. And he was just afraid, and he didn't want to do his time in Stony Mountain. So on his first day at Stony Mountain, he, he punched out a guard. Okay? <laughs> like, true story. He was like, in his mind, he's like, I know how to get transferred. I'll just, I'll just show them right off the bat that I'm, I'm not to be messed with and, and that I'm going to cause problems. And so he knocks out this guard and obviously gets in trouble for it. And so what the authorities do is they said, we've got to keep Cal, okay, this is my dad, away from his dad. So my grandfather was a career criminal. He spent 33 years in prison. They said, we, we can't send Cal to the same prison his dad is in. So instead of sending him where he wanted to go, they sent him all the way to the East Coast, to Dorchester, New Brunswick, just outside of Moncton, okay? So he's there. And even while he was there, he actually came up with a plan to get transferred uh, where he had somebody stab him to try to make it look like somebody was after him. And he, one of his close friends went and told the, the real story to the warden. And so his plan didn't work. He had to stay in Dorchester. So there's all these things going on. And so he's there. And one night he listens to Billy Graham and comes to know Jesus. Okay, So God miraculously saves him. It's really cool. Uh, my mom, she, was, uh, she comes from a really small town in New Brunswick, a few hours away from Moncton, the city that I grew up in. And... She, uh, she grew up in a, a very a religious family that didn't know Jesus. And she went to a Leighton Ford crusade one night, who's an associate of Billy Graham. She heard the gospel message. She, she surrendered her life to Jesus. And then she ended up in Moncton at uh, a Christian school. And one of the requirements to be at a Christian school was she had to do community service somewhere. So she decided she would go volunteer at the prison. 
And my mom was like green when it came to anything to do with like prison inmates. She actually thought that prisoners wore like striped pajamas with a ball and chain. Like that's actually, that's actually what she thought she was gonna find when she went to prison. So she goes in there as a volunteer and she meets my dad and falls in love. And that's against the rules. Because if you're a prison volunteer, you're not allowed to fall in love with one of the inmates. And so she has to quit her job as a volunteer at the prison in order to continue visiting uh, my dad. And they, um, contrary to some counsel they would have gotten, they decided to get married on the day of his release from prison. Not always a good idea, okay? In most cases, (laughs) that doesn't work out. So they get married, and he's finishing out his parole, so they had to go uh, to Toronto, and he had to live there for a couple years, and so I was born in Toronto. Um, they, were, they spent their first year and a half or so of marriage there, and then they were back in, on the East Coast. And I was thinking about this story, and I just got thinking about, and I was thinking about God's sovereignty and how God uses all kinds of weird events to accomplish his will. And I was thinking, if my dad didn't punch out that guard at Stony Mountain, he never would have ended up on the East Coast. He may have never met my mom, uh, they may have never gotten married, I might not have been born. And so then I got thinking, and I'm working on sovereignty, and I'm like, and I was thinking, I'm like, so did he have to punch out that guard in order for me to be born? <laughs> like, is that God's, was that God's plan? Like, because that's kind of what led to him, and like, that's why he ended up on the East Coast, right? Because he punches out this guard in Stony Mountain, you know, and, and then when he's in uh, prison in New Brunswick, and he comes up with this plan, he has the guy stab him, and and then that plan gets told to the warden. Like, did the warden put it on the guy's heart to go tell on his friends, right? And, and then my, my mom, like, she had to kind of break the rules in order to fall in love with my dad, this inmate. And I was like, if that didn't happen, then I wouldn't be born. And so I'm thinking about sovereignty and how, like, God has this plan. And the scriptures are clear. When I think about my own life and I think about what God says about life, I know that he loves me. I know that he has a plan for my life. I know that the scriptures reveal that he had a plan for my life long before I was ever born. God had a plan for your life long before you were ever born. And if you think about your birth story, if you think about some of the things that happened in order for you to come into planet earth, it's kind of messy, isn't it? Like, can you, can you agree when you think about your birth story? Like, there's all these events that took place, and if you think about it too much, it's almost, it gets weird where you're like, did God have to do that in order for me to be born, right? And, and when you talk about sovereignty, you get into some of these kind of crazy questions because God is sovereign, but in the midst of the things that happen here on planet Earth, there's all kinds of decisions that get made that are outside of God's will. There's all kinds of even sinful decisions that get made that are outside of God's will, and somehow... God is able to accomplish his good will in the midst of sin, bad decisions, and chaos. Isn't he brilliant? Isn't God brilliant? So um, that's what we're thinking about is, is sovereignty. Now, I want to put that slide up one more time, Jacob. So if God is sovereign, it means that he's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and completely free. Usually when we talk about sovereignty, you'll hear the first three, the omnis. Uh, A.W. Tozer he, he uh, inserts this uh, last one, that God is completely free. And I'm going to put up a quote by, by Tozer. He talks about, you ever hear that, that saying that people will sometimes say, I'm as free as a bird? You know, and, and we would like that, wouldn't we? To be as free as a bird. You know, I, I referenced my dad um, at the beginning, and 
he, he tells the story of he used, when he was in maximum security prison, he was allowed to have so many uh, hours, like I think it was one a day, out in the yard where he could walk around. And he said he used to look up and he'd see eagles and birds flying over top. And he thought, man, they must think we're so dumb down here all locked in a cage. Like, they're so free, right? We have this idea that birds are free, but only God is actually free. Listen to Tozer's words about how free a bird is. The supposedly free bird actually lives its entire life in a cage made of fears, hungers, and instincts. It is limited by weather conditions, varying air pressures, the local food supply, predatory beasts, and that strangest of bonds, the irresistible compulsion to stay within the small plot of land and air assigned it by the birdland comedy. The freest bird is, along with every other created thing, held in constant check by a net of necessity. Only God is free. And so we have this idea of freedom, but if you look at the things like creatures, animals, or people that, that you have a perception that they are free, no one actually experiences freedom other than God. We all, including the freest looking animal, have restrictions in our lives. So when we talk about sovereignty, God is, not only is he all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, he actually is free in the truest sense of the word. God can do whatever he wants without any limits uh, on, on his decision. You know, you, you and I, we are so limited. Even if we said, oh, I want to get away and go on this big adventure and hike, if, if we didn't have water with us, we would shrivel up and die. Like, we are restricted by our, our needs and, and the things that we need in order for us to function. Only God is truly free. He's not restricted by anyone or anything. There is nothing that comes in and puts parameters around God. He is truly free. So when we think about sovereignty, maybe, maybe this is not the case for you, uh, but when I think about sovereignty, there's a personal struggle that happens because I think, well, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, can do all these things, why are some of these bad things still happening? Why do bad things happen to good people? You know, we're, uh, we're probably all aware of, of the conflict that is going on currently in the Middle East, and there are just absolute tragedies happening, where there's hostages being taken and there's brutality uh, happening. And so when we think about the sovereignty of God, sometimes we have questions like, well, if if he is all-powerful, if he is free, why are these things continuing to happen? And maybe, maybe it's, as I said at the beginning, maybe you're not thinking about the things going on in the world. Maybe you've got real pain happening in your life where it's just on a daily basis, it's just difficult to, to take the next breath on a, on a regular, ongoing, daily basis for you. Maybe you've got so much going on in your life that it's just challenging. And, we think, and then we talk about the sovereignty of God, and maybe that just kind of makes you struggle a little bit. You're like, well, why, why does God allow these things to happen if he's, if he's sovereign, if he's, if he's all-powerful, if he's all-good? Uh, in Isaiah, the scriptures tell us that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. You know, one of the things that uh, I've come to believe about sovereignty. I, I, I fully believe that God, within the context of his perfect will, that, that God has actually given you and I the ability to make choices. I don't believe we could possibly have a loving relationship with God, the creator of the universe, if we didn't have the freedom to reject his love. So he's given us choices 
but our choices have a limit. Kind of like, kind of like the water. It, it talks in the scriptures about when God created the waters, he, he said, he's told the water, you can go this far and then you have to stop. If God didn't tell the oceans where to stop, there would be no land, right? So when God created the, the waters that cover the earth, he, he gave them boundaries, he gave them limits. He said, this far and then you stop because I want North America to exist and I want Europe to exist and I want Asia to exist. So God made it possible for land. And it's the same thing that God created you and I and he gives us the opportunity to have free will to make decisions, but our decisions are actually limited. And here's where we all probably disagree. We probably all disagree on how much freedom we should each have. When we think about sovereignty, maybe it's tempting for you to think, well, if I was God, I, would, I wouldn't allow, you know, maybe you think about some of the things going on in the Middle East, and you think, well, if I was God, I wouldn't allow uh, Hamas to do this, you, and you fill in the blank. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you think about your own life, you're like, well, if I was God, I wouldn't allow this person who hurt me in such a horrible, terrible, tragic way, I wouldn't allow that to happen. Maybe you start thinking that way. But we've got to remember when we talk about God, he, his thoughts are above our thoughts, his ways are above our ways. And he's given us the ability to, to accept him or to reject him because that's the only way to have a true, real, loving relationship. But that's also been the cause of a lot of pain that goes on in the world. Because you and I have free will, we are, we're able to do things that cause harm to other people. And there are limits if, if, if it weren't for God's limits, I don't even believe humanity would exist on planet Earth today. You know, if you study some of the history of the last uh, couple thousand years, like, you, you can see the intervention and the hand of God in human history. There are limits to what God allows. But some of us get uncomfortable with where those limits are. Uh, Dr. Smith, who's a commentator and a theologian, and this quote will be on there. He says, sovereignty is never in isolation from the character of the one that is exercising it. Sovereignty is never in isolation from the character of the one that is exercising it. And so this series that we're in, we're talking about God is. The reason we're looking at uh, the the characteristics of God, God is, uh, he's love. God is true. God, next week, Gene's going to be talking about God is father. We talked about how God is unhurried. God is merciful. God is gracious. When we understand who God is, it gives us a better picture of how we can relate with him, but also with his will and his desire for this world and for our lives. It's a terrifying thought. And you can think about some of the most corrupt people that we we know of. People like Caesar, which was a first century leader, Hitler, Stalin. You know, think of these, these evil names. When they had tons of power, more than most people will ever experience. There was all kinds of corruption. They did evil, terrible, horrible things. But God, in, he, he sits on the, the throne that overlooks everything that happens in the universe. And because he is good, he, he is also merciful, loving, just, forgiving, gracious. We know that there are limits to how much evil and wickedness will happen and that God's final say, God's final words will make all things right. The scripture makes that clear. And as we wrestle with it, coming to understand who God is and what he's like and how we can relate with him help us uh, in kind of understanding and and wrestling through some of these these difficult questions. And we're going to look today, I'm going to read one chapter out of the book of Esther. We're going to read Esther chapter 4. And uh, I just want to give you a little bit of context of where we're jumping into the story. And if you get the weekly email, which 
I encourage, um, because I usually give a little bit of a, a study guide in, ahead of what we're going to be talking about on Sunday, and you can do some deeper studying. And uh, there's, a, there's a video I put in this week's email that kind of gives an overview of the book of Esther. Uh, so this might be a little bit uh, repetitious if you've watched that video. But Esther, this book, uh, Esther's set 100 years after the Babylonian exile. So after the Israelite people have been defeated and they're in exile, they, they had to leave their land. Uh, this happens 100 years. And uh, Esther and her cousin Mordecai are in the Persian Empire. And I want you to know this. In the book of Esther, we're talking about sovereignty. And the reason that I, I chose the book of Esther for this topic is because God is not mentioned one time in the book of Esther. Okay, so many of you probably know that. Uh, but I think that's really worth pointing out because it's the only book in the whole Bible. Okay, there's 66 books in the Bible. So this is one. The other 65 all talk about God a lot. Esther, God's not even mentioned. And you know what's fascinating about that is that you, if you believe in God, if you understand God's sovereign power, you can't read the book of Esther and not see God at work. You see his fingerprints all over the place, everywhere. The, the book of Esther is one of the most ironic books of the Bible. It's hilarious. Okay? To this day, uh, the, the people, Jewish people celebrate the Feast of Purim. 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 I think that's how you say it. Uh, and it's celebrating the events of the book of Esther. And they get up and they act out the events of the book of Esther. And so when, when Esther and Mordecai come on stage, the people cheer. When the guy Haman, who's talked about in this book, comes out, everybody boos, right? And they celebrate what God did. But what's interesting is God's not mentioned. And I think that's really important as we talk about sovereignty, because when, when we talk about sovereignty, we talk about God having absolute rule over everything that happens. But to people that don't know him, they oftentimes don't know that it's God that's at work. Do you know that in your life, that God was at work long before you even knew who he was? A lot of people, after they come to know Jesus and they experience his transformation, they look back on their life and they're like, man, I could see God at work all the way through my life. I could see him here. I could see him saving me here. I could see him preserving me. You know, I told my birth story, like, my dad punching out that guard at Stony Mountain. I'm like, I can see how God used that somehow in some way for, for good. He turned things around. God is at work and we often are unaware of it until we know him. But once you know God, you can't not see him. And so Esther lives in Persia with her cousin Mordecai. The, in, in the book of Esther, uh, the king, Xerxes, he, uh, he has a wife. His name is, or her name is Vashti. And he, he requests that she come and parade her beauty before all of his bros. And, uh, and read the book, okay? It's interesting. It's in there, okay? She, he wants her to parade her beauty. And, and the, a lot of commentators think he was asking her to come naked before all of his bros so he could show off uh, his, his beautiful wife. And she refuses. And so the king gets some counselors together. And, and one counselor in particular says, Oh, king, if you let your wife do this, then all the wives all over the land, all over Persia, they're going to disrespect their husbands too, right? So then they come up with this plan where they're like, well, let's get rid of Vashti and we'll make this example and we'll, we'll try to like show them what a real marriage looks like with male dominance and all these things, right? That's kind of how the book of Esther is, is going on. And God's at work in this messed up thinking, right? So then what, what uh, the, the king and his, his counselors come up with, they come up with this elaborate plan where they're like, we're just going to go through all of the land of Persia and we're going to look for all the beautiful young women and we're going we're gonna to hold a beauty pageant and, and the king is going to choose the most beautiful young 
uh, virgin to be his wife, right? It's messed up. Like, it's an absolute mess. And these women, by the way, when they were chosen, they had to go through an, a, an elaborate cleansing process in order to be worthy to go see the king. Like, it is a messed up uh, whole thing that's going on that's just like you've got this, you know, obviously chauvinistic male that's, that's doing all this, but God is at work in this mess all the way through. And Esther ends up getting chosen, and she's a Jewish woman, and her cousin, Mordecai, wisely tells her, hide your Jewish identity, don't, don't go talking about it yet. Right? And then there's another one of the king's counselors who comes up with a plan in the book of Esther to kill all of the Jews because he gets offended at Mordecai. And I'm not going to get into that. You've got to read the book to, to find it. But he gets really offended at Mordecai and he wants to kill everybody. Okay? And, and Mordecai says to Esther, and this is what we're going to read, um, you have a part to play in this. And what's interesting, you're going to think, if you've ever read this story before, you're going to almost want to hear uh, Mordecai and Esther talking about prayer, talking about God, but that's not mentioned. It's hinted at, but it's not even mentioned. You can see God at work. Uh, but Mordecai gives Esther this request and says, you've got to go stand up for your people and, and you know, deliverance will come if you do this. If you don't, deliverance will still come, but you will be, you'll be lost. You and your family will, will die. And, and this is where we're going to pick up the story. So we're going to read Esther chapter 4, but I would encourage you, read the whole book. It is full of uh, irony and humor, and you can see the hand of God all the way through. But Esther chapter 4, and this will be on the screen. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes." When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent, and this, the reason she's deeply distressed is because this um, edict had been discovered that uh, the king had given uh, Haman permission to carry out this plan to wipe out the Jewish people. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend to her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him all that happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of the people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and all of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king these 30 days. So I'm going to read the last few verses, but just know. So Mordecai is telling Esther, you've got to go talk to the king. There's this plan to kill the Jews. And, and you're a Jew. You're within the king's palace. Like, you have a role to play. You've got to go in and do something about it. And Esther explains to him, she just saw what happened to the previous queen. She just saw how quickly the king can make a decision and, and write somebody off or kill them. And there's no accountability for it. He could do whatever he wanted. And so she's trying to explain this to Mordecai. Like, if I go, like, rarely does anybody ever get to see the king unless they're invited. Usually they get killed, 
unless the king extends his scepter and then that person can touch it and then they'll be allowed into his presence. And so she's explaining why what Mordecai's asking is crazy. She's like, I can't, I can't do it. And listen to Mordecai's response. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, and, and pay attention to the wording in verse 14, God isn't mentioned, but he is hinted at, and if you know God, you can't not see him. Verse 14 says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. And so this story gets really ironic when you, this guy Haman that has this plan to kill the Jews, he is absolutely embarrassed, okay? So he, he's got this whole plan and he ends up having to go and, and celebrate Mordecai, the guy that he hates, and parade him through the city and, and give him this position of honor because of something that Mordecai had done. And, and Haman, at that point, had built a gallows to kill uh, Mordecai. And in the end of the book, you see that Haman gets killed on the very gallows that he had made to kill uh, Mordecai. You can see how uh, God is involved protecting those people that are his all the way through the book of Esther, even though God isn't mentioned. Even when we were, we were on Tuesday morning, we, we get together and we pray through the sermon text. And we, it was like we thought we read that they fasted and prayed. But even when it says they fasted, it doesn't even say fasted and prayed. It just says that they fasted, right? And so God isn't mentioned, prayer isn't mentioned, but God is at work behind the scenes. And the irony in this book, you can't not see the involvement of God. And it's like that in our own lives. There are so many things that happen that it's, it's like, if you don't know God, you might think, oh, it was just chance or it just happened. But when you, when you come to know God, when you come to experience who he is, you can see him at work in and through, not just the events of human history, but in your own life. Many of you that are sitting here right now, you've experienced God in profound ways. And, and there might be some here that you don't even know that you've experienced God. But as you come to understand who he is, you'll look back and go, that was God. God used that messed up situation in my life and he somehow turned it around for good. So in the times of your life when God is not mentioned, it doesn't mean he's not active. That's, that's one of the key takeaways from the book of Esther is that when it seems like God is not around, when it seems like, hey buddy, when it seems like he's not there, he's there more than you realize. He's at work and he's active. I also think it's funny, um, you know, there's a couple fasts mentioned. This is just a, a silly thing, but I was thinking about it this week. Uh, when you study the life of Daniel, Daniel famously did this fast that was like a fruits and vegetables fast. I hear Christians all the time talking about like, well, I'm doing the Daniel fast, right? Because like you can eat all kinds of fruits and vegetables. Like the Esther fast was crazy. These guys went without food and water for three days, Okay. <laughs> Next time you hear somebody being like, oh, I'll do the Daniel fast, be like, you should do the Esther fast, right? <laughs> you should do the Esther. Like, that's no food, no water, three days. That's, that's quite a fast. So, uh, anyway, this is a, a silly observation. Um, as we 
as we question sovereignty, there's, there's a couple questions I'm going to get Jacob to put up on the screen. When, when sovereignty is questioned, here are some of the things that we often ask. If God is sovereign and totally good, why does sin, evil, and suffering exist? If God is sovereign, if all things happen according to his will, does that mean that humans do not have free choice? I'm just going gonna, gonna to give a couple book recommendations. Uh, this is not going to be on the screen. But if you're interested in studying suffering and how God uses it, um, and you're interested in studying some of the evil things that happen and God's involvement, one book is uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And another is a book called Is God a Moral Monster by Paul Copen. And they address some of these questions that have been really helpful for me. Uh, and he... I want to I want to give an illustration that I think is really helpful for understanding. And if you've read the, anything by A.W. Tozer, he uses this illustration. But as you think about God's sovereign will and our role in the midst of it, I just want you to think about a, a boat. So I'm going to get Jacob. There's a picture um, in here. All right. So I've talked about Graham and Ann before. I think Alyssa and Jeremy actually have this picture framed uh, in their house. So this is. Swallowtail, uh, Graham and Ann, it's a Swallowtail lighthouse. And the ferry that you see uh, goes from Black's Harbor, New Brunswick, to Graham and Ann. Okay, so Graham and Ann is an island. I lived there for three years. Vicki and I lived there. And there's about 2,000 people that live on the island of Graham and Ann. And if you want to get to Graham, yeah, and this is, this is where it is. So Graham and Ann is in the Bay of Fundy. So you can see Nova Scotia over here. And you see Maine. Graham and Ann is actually closer to the States than it is to Canada. So the ferry trip you do is up in New Brunswick, kind of where the tip is there, that's Black's Harbor, and it goes to Graham and Ann Island. It's an hour and a half each way to get to Graham and Ann, okay? Now, here, here's the illustration, and I, I tweaked it a little bit from Tozer. Tozer uses the illustration of a ship, and you can just leave that, that up there if you want, Jacob. Uh, so four times a day, this ferry goes from Black's Harbor to Graham and Ann to Black's Harbor. So if you want to get to the island, you have to go on the ferry. This ferry is set. The course that it's going, it is going to go from Black's Harbor to Grand Manan. It, it will not change. Like that ferry doesn't go anywhere else. It only goes from Black's Harbor to Grand Manan and from Grand Manan back to Black's Harbor. That's it. That's the only place it'll go. So God's sovereignty is kind of like that ferry. Okay? The course is set. The direction it's going in is set. There is no changing that. But what happens on the ferry is up to the people that are on the ferry. So I want to tell you two stories of things that happen on that ferry. So uh, I have a friend that loves Jesus a whole lot, and he's a super bold personality. Like, he, I've literally seen him chase people down the road in his socks to tell them about Jesus. Like, I've, he actually, that's how he lives. If God prompts him while he's got his socks on, he doesn't put his shoes on. He just goes, okay? Um, he was on that ferry, and he's a worship leader. He plays guitar, and he pulled out his guitar, and he just started doing a worship service on the ferry. Okay? So the ferry is just filled with whoever, you know, it could be, you know, anybody, because everybody has to use the ferry to get to and from Graham and Ann. And so this worship service is going on, and there's people around that don't know Jesus, and they're obviously being impacted by this worship service that's happening on the ferry, right? It was just incredible. God was using that. Another scenario, I want you to think about the smallness of a place like Graham and Ann. There's 2,000 people. So when, when two people are married and one of them cheats on their spouse, do you think that the whole place knows about it when you live in a place like Graham and Ann? Like, 
We probably feel like we live in a small town living in, in Thunder Bay and those kinds. Of, we don't, like, the thought of our dirty laundry being aired is kind of a terrifying thought, right? Uh, but where we live, is, it's a bigger place and you can kind of avoid people a little more. But not on Graham and Ann. You know how many times people were traveling on that ferry and you've got, like, a spouse that left the other one and then them and their new partners, like, they end up on the same ferry ride and, the, and they're standing at the same lineup getting their, like, their poutine, okay? Um, and how awkward that is. And there's like some interactions that have happened on that ferry that were just absolutely horrible. It happens on a regular basis. Going on the ferry, depending on what's going on in your life, it could be an absolutely terrible event. Or it could be a great event, right? And so similarly, I want you to think about God's sovereignty in, in a similar sense that there are things that, are, that God has set that are going to happen. His sovereign will has given certain parameters. And Jacob, you can go to the next slide. You can just read down through this list, okay? So just thinking about that fairy analogy, God's sovereign will means that God will fulfill biblical prophecy. These are things that are set. This will not change. You and I, as human beings, we're on this ferry, and it's going from one point to the next point. God has made some things very clear, and these, these are all uh, things that are very clear in Scripture. God will fulfill biblical prophecy. That is set. Whether you believe in him or not, uh, whether you, you've encountered him or not, like this is set. God will fulfill biblical prophecy. One day, the scriptures tell us, every knee will bow before King Jesus. So as followers of Jesus, we love to talk about him and, and surrender our lives to him. And, and when he's made, revealed himself to us and we surrender to him, this is this loving relationship. The scripture tells us there, there's a day coming where God will fully reveal who he is to all of the watching world. All of those that, like in Esther's time, God's not mentioned in the book of Esther, but he's behind the scenes all the way through. It's the same thing now. You know, for a lot of people that live in this world, they don't believe God. They don't know God. Well, one day it's going to be revealed. He is the divine orchestrator behind the events that happen in this world. And someday that will be revealed. And the scriptures tell us every knee will bow before King Jesus. You can't stand in front of the, the all-powerful God with any arrogance in your heart or any, no, I don't gonna, I'm not going to surrender to that. Like When God reveals himself in all power, every knee will bow. God will act on behalf of the vulnerable. That is clear in Scripture. People that are taken advantage of, people that are oppressed, orphans and widows and people that are hostages, God will act on behalf of the vulnerable and he will judge the oppressors. That is so clear all the way through Scripture. Everybody will stand before God on Judgment Day. So not only will every knee bow, we all stand before God, whether we know him or not, whether we want to acknowledge him or not, that, that will happen. Sin and evil will be cleansed from the earth, and God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Those who reject Jesus will be lost. Those who embrace and surrender to Jesus will be with him for all eternity. And so here, here's how I want to, to wrap this uh, topic of sovereignty up. It is so clear that God, there are things that he has set. He is sovereign. He is, he is overall. He is in charge of all. He's also good and loving and gracious and merciful and kind. Okay, And there are things that are unchanging. There are things that, that he has said will happen. And we can bet our lives on the fact that what he says will happen will happen. But it's clear in the book of Esther that you and I have a choice. You put that slide up of just the two verses, uh, verse 13 and 14 from Esther chapter 4. Listen to Mordecai's words again. It says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. 
For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For those of you that know God, Mordecai's words should, should prick our hearts. You know, we, we see tragedy in this world. You know, one of the things I, I highlighted in here is that God, God will advocate on behalf of the vulnerable. So we can, we can sit in judgment over this world and look at all the bad things everybody else is doing, but just kind of not get involved, not do anything. But you know what Mordecai said to Esther? He says, don't assume that you could just not get involved. He's, and I love what Mordecai emphasizes. He says to Esther, he says, if you don't, if you don't get involved, relief will come for the Jews from some other place, but you'll be lost. And you know what I hear God saying? When I think about sovereignty, I think about all the things that go on in this world, and, and you and I, we're alive right now for a reason and with a purpose. And we, we actually have been invited to join God on what, in what he's doing for this world. Now, I bring up the vulnerable, and I often refer to ministries that are represented here at Transformation Church. We've got Grace Place and Northwind and, and Teen Challenge, right? And there's, those are ministries that advocate for people that are struggling. They advocate for people that are, that are vulnerable. And when, when you've encountered Jesus and you join him on mission, you're actually a part of what he's doing. And there's, a, there's a, an opportunity for us to say yes to him and to join him on mission. God's mission will be accomplished. Yes, there's chaos. Yes, there's craziness right now. But his mission will be accomplished. And you and I have an opportunity to say yes and to join him on that mission. Or we can sit back like Esther was tempted to do. And I think Esther was just tempted. She was afraid for her own life. She didn't want to put herself out there. You know, I think a lot of us can relate with Esther. When Mordecai said, Esther, you've got to get involved. You've got to do something. There's crazy things going on in the world right now. And you've got to, you've got to step up. You've got to do something. And Esther goes, well, Mordecai, do you realize that if I do that, like, I'll probably be killed? I probably won't make it? Most people that go before the king, most people that put themselves out there, they're, they're not, not just criticized, they're killed, they're destroyed. You think about it in our own lives. You and I have opportunities to get involved in some of the things God wants us to get involved with, but we would rather just like, no, I don't want to put myself out there. I'm afraid I'm going to say something that's going to step on people's toes or, or I'm going to get canceled or things in my life are too, I don't want to make my life too difficult. And Mordecai's words to Esther, I believe, are a prophetic call to you and I today, if you're a follower of Jesus, that what God is saying is he's saying, I'm calling you to be on mission with me, to get involved in the things that I'm going to do. We have the opportunity to say yes to him or to reject him. God's will is going to happen. But within that, we have the, we have the free will. You think back to the fairy illustration that I gave. You know, there's a couple stories. There's people on those, on those trips from Graham and Ann to, to Black's Harbor where they just spew hatred and they spew bitterness and they spew whatever violence against other people or there's people that go i'm on this ferry and i'm gonna i'm gonna express love and grace and mercy and peace and be an example of, of who god is and god has given each one of us the decision to either say yes to him or to reject his will and my my challenge to us today i don't know what it looks like in your own life i, I can't get up here today and say, well, this is exactly what you need to do to get on board with what God is doing. But I'll bet you, you see some things that go on in your life that you can be involved with what God is doing. You could say yes to the invitation of joining him on mission. 
Or, but you also know what it means to sit back and say, no, I don't, I don't really want to do that. Confession, there was this week, uh, I, was, I was in a public place somewhere and I just had a sense to do something for someone and I ignored it. I, was, I just kind of like explained it away. I was like, no, I don't think that's God. I think that's just me. It's my guilt. It's my whatever. And, and I ignored it. And then I was praying later and it was one of those, I did a prayer where I was just being meditative and reflective and that situation came back to mind and I thought, I missed an opportunity to say yes to what I believe Jesus was encouraging me to do. And I think we all face those moments and those times in our life. And so God is sovereign and you have to know as a follower of Jesus, like you can rely on the fact that this all-powerful God is sovereign in a way that is good and he will make all things right all the painful things, all the difficult things. But in the meantime, he's given you and I the, the freedom to join him on his mission, to say yes to him, or the freedom to say no. I'm going to invite the, the team to come up. We're going to close with a couple songs. And I just, uh, I want to encourage you as, as we close with this, just even take some moments to reflect. And, and can we just be honest, as you take a, a moment during these last couple songs to reflect, just think about maybe some of the things you've said no to God about. And just confess it to him. There doesn't have to be any condemnation with it. But just say to the Lord, I, I just want to say yes to you. If you're asking me to do it, I want to, I want to say yes. I want to, I want to be a part of your good plan. I want to be a part of your sovereign will. We have, we have the choice to say yes or, to, or no to him. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray this prayer. This is a, a prayer by John Wesley, so it's old English, but I'm going to in, encourage you just to, to read down through this with me. It's a prayer about saying yes to God. It's a prayer about being fully surrendered. I'm going to, I'm going to read this, and then we'll, we'll close with a couple songs. And you have to discern through the old English of it, um, but listen to the heart behind what it's saying. And may this be our prayer to him as his followers. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things for thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.